How many of you have heard the expression, it takes three to thrive? A few of you, it takes three to thrive. How many of you have heard that expression? A few of you. What does it mean? Someone raise their hand. So, some of you raised your hand. Okay. Uh, that, that's possible, but that's not what I'm looking for. No, no, you guys are, are just way far gone. Um, who raised their hand? Someone raise your hands again. Who knows what this means? Brother David? Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Sunday night. Wait, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Sunday night. No, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Sorry. Yes, three services a week. It takes three to thrive. I don't know who coined it, but the idea is, is that the more often you're in church, the more often you're under the teaching and the preaching of God's word, the more you're apt to thrive. And there's a typical pattern. It's not always followed by every preacher, uh, but usually Sunday morning is a more evangelistic message. Sunday evening is usually more encouragement. And tonight is going to be along that theme. I, I want to offer a word of encouragement to you tonight and from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you would open up with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you did not know what three to thrive is, you won't now know. Uh, it is not me, myself, and I. It is not it takes three people to get a job done. Um, David, of all the people to say that, you're, you're one of the most handy men I know. You can get jobs done just by yourself. Um, Three services in a week. Be under the teaching and the preaching of God's word as often as you can. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and focusing our attention on verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 10 in a sermon that I've titled, What Do I Do Now? What Do I Do Now? At some point in our lives, we all encounter situations that are unexpected, whether they're good unexpected or bad unexpected. A month ago, uh, Ruthie and I received a check in the mail because I had overpaid one of our bills. So they were paying us back. That was a good, unexpected surprise. Le earlier this week, we received a letter from the IRS that I had actually made an error in filing our taxes, and we were getting more money back. I've never heard of the IRS giving more money. Uh, but another unexpected, pleasant surprise. When I first saw the envelope, though, with the three letters IRS on it, I, I didn't want to open it. Uh, I, I had a, an idea of where it was going to go, uh, and I was certain that whatever refund I thought I was going to get was now going to disappear. But praise the Lord, it turned out them owing me more money. But there are plenty of pleasant, unexpected surprises that we have in life, but that's not what we're going to be talking about tonight. Tonight, I want to draw your attention to a portion of scripture where the Apostle Paul speaks of an unpleasant, unexpected surprise that could have left him panicked, trying to figure out what he was going to do. Not only did this situation come out of nowhere, but it seems to have come at a time in his life when he was faithfully serving the Lord. There are times in our lives where circumstances, circumstances change from favorable to unfavorable, and it makes sense. It makes sense. 
We made some foolish decisions. We backed ourselves into a corner. We failed to do something. We acted too hastily or we waited too long to act. We spoke without thinking. We were disobedient. Whatever it was, we felt that we deserved what we had coming to us. So when our situation changed from favorable to unfavorable, we look at it and we think, yeah, it makes sense. We, we kind of expected this to come. Our unfavorable circumstances seemed fitting based on what we had done, how we had acted. But then there are times when our circumstances become unfavorable and it doesn't make sense. We look at everything that is going on around us and nothing seems to add up. We go through the progression in our minds as to how it went from good to bad, favorable to unfavorable, and we just can't seem to make sense out of anything. We find ourselves like Job, unsure as to why the Lord has us going through this specific situation. Sometimes the answer is never given, regardless of how many times we may go and ask God about it. A few months ago, I went to see my doctor for a routine physical. Uh, Ruthie knows how much I love going to see my doctor. The truth is, I don't like to go see the doctor, and it's not because I don't like the doctor. He's a nice enough guy. I just don't like what they do to me once I'm there. What I'm about to share with you is going to sound completely fake. It's going to sound fabricated. It's going to sound like I made it up. It's going to be ridiculous. I assure you, it is all true. Ruthie can verify it all. One of the reasons I don't like going to the doctor is because of blood pressure cuffs. When I was about five years old, as I was waiting in a waiting room to see my doctor, my older brother told me that sometimes when a doctor puts a blood pressure cuff around your arm and squeezes it, makes it tighter and tighter and tighter, sometimes they're not able to get it off. <clears throat> and then they're forced to amputate. <clears throat> I was five years old. Do you realize how devastated I was at five years old in the waiting room waiting to see my doctor being told this by my older brother. Knowing that I was going to hear my name called at any moment, and sure enough, my name was called in the waiting room. And we must have walked by. I think my, my dad was taking me into the doctor's office, and we must have walked by several rooms, and each room had screaming children inside. And my mind is telling me arms are being chopped off every room that we're passing. It scared me me terribly and it scarred me for life I've gotten better about it today but my mind takes me back to when I was five years old at that doctor's office whenever I see the blood pressure cuff so naturally I'm avoiding the doctor a few months ago when I was in my doctor's office I powered through the blood pressure cuff and you have to understand that in the weeks leading up to it my mind is on this I'm going to have to have this thing wrapped around my arm. I'm there. I powered through, and I told myself it was all but over. After I answered a few more questions, until the doctor said, we'll just do a little blood work, and then you'll be on your way. I was so worked up about the blood pressure cuff, I hadn't even thought about the blood work, and I forgot to mention that my brother also terrified me about needles, too. When he was telling me horror stories about blood pressure cuffs, he was also telling me horror stories about needles, how they were this long, and oftentimes the doctors would just keep stabbing and stabbing and stabbing until they found a vein. And again, I told the doctor when he said that, that I didn't want to do blood work because I don't like needles. 
To which he replied, oh, everyone loves them. And I said, no one, no one likes needles, Doc. And of course he was joking. No one enjoys when their circumstances become unfavorable. No one enjoys dealing with difficulty. But what do we do when life gets tough? What do we do when situations change and change unexpectedly? Whether we like it or not, life is tough. What Job, what the Apostle Paul learned, though, is that anything worthwhile, it comes at a price. A Russian writer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, understood this as well as he wrote the following words after suffering in prison for many years. He said, It was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. So bless you, prison, for having been in my life. I often wonder, can we say the same? Looking back on all the seasons of difficulty that we've had up to this point in our lives, can we be thankful for having gone through every one of them? Can we be thankful for the difficulties that are ahead of our road, just around the corner? It takes deep spiritual wisdom to have the ability to have a positive outlook for future difficulties. It's easier to look back and see, okay, I'm glad I went through that because I can see how things worked out after having gone through it. But looking ahead to what lies in the future, not always knowing how things are going to hit, can be a lot more difficult. <clears throat> Warren Wearsby once said, we are tried for a season, but pure for eternity. And that is the proper attitude to have when it comes to facing life's difficulties. No one promised that life would be easy, but God has promised that eternal life is glorious. Don't let the difficulties of today rob you of the eternal joy that you have in Christ. Your life may be harder than others. The seasons of distress may seem to linger longer in your life than in others, but you're no less a child of God on the bad days as you are his child on the good days. No one enjoys suffering just like no one enjoys blood work. But all the difficulties of life provide us another opportunity to see God and to offer comfort to others. God uses difficulties in our lives to help us relate to others, and he uses the comfort that he gave to us to be able to give that same comfort to others. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses, uh, and verses um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, rather, verses 7 to 10, as he is comforting us with the comfort he first received from God. Notice what the Bible says in these four verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I want you to notice first the purpose of difficulties. The purpose of difficulties. Again, in verse number 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, 
the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. The purpose of difficulties. One of the reasons why God allows difficulties in our lives is to keep us humble, to keep us from the sin of pride, which I think is at the root of every sin. In the previous six verses, which we didn't read, Paul describes an occasion where God allowed him to experience something so unique, something so unexplainable, where he is caught up into paradise and actually hears God. Now, to our knowledge, no other person has ever experienced what Paul experienced, and as he describes it there in the first six verses. So it would have been very easy for him to be filled with pride over such a unique opportunity and a privileged opportunity where no one else seems to have had the opportunity to experience a couple of weeks ago, Ruthie and Lily made brownies, and Lily was so excited because she, she did most of it all by herself, and it was so funny because we put the brown, I would say we, they put the brownies in the oven, and she stood outside that oven the entire time watching it. I remember looking over at one point thinking, what on earth is she doing? And then it dinged, letting us know that it was over, and she jumped with joy, saying that they're finally done. She watched the countdown on the stove timer until the brownies were finally done and Lily they came out fantastic she was thrilled about making these brownies and as much as she was thrilled about making the brownies and I was thrilled about eating them I had the wonderful opportunity in having the last brownie which I made sure to boast in and about to the children that I got the last brownie we don't need much in our lives to boast in do we we don't need anything big to boast, in, to boast over or to be prideful in. But what Paul says he experienced, that takes the cake. If anyone had an opportunity to boast, he did based on what he experienced. Based on what the first six verses there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tell us. And what we see is that God would use a difficulty in his life to swoop in to help prevent him from getting the wrong perspective. And he does the same for us as well. He keeps us from having the wrong perspective and helps us focus on having the proper perspective. So he does allow difficulties in order to keep us humble. Second, I want you to notice the pain of difficulties. Verse 7 again, the pain of difficulties. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, commentators are all over the map with the ideas as to what the thorn in the flesh was to the Apostle Paul. Some believe it was his failing eyesight, uh, as he would eventually begin to dictate his letters for others to write. Whatever it was, we know that it was quite a nuisance as he went to the Lord on three occasions, as verse number 8 tells us, pleading, begging the Lord to take it away. And based on the strong language that he uses to describe it, he calls it a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, he says, to buffet him. We can conclude that it was something serious. The idea of a thorn is not like a little sliver we might get in our hand or in a finger, but more of a, of a stake or of a knife. Whatever this ailment, which we're not even sure, Paul equated it to having a stake or a knife stuck in his flesh, which certainly qualifies as a difficulty. God doesn't give us the specifics of what this thorn in the flesh was, but we're given an idea as to the nature of the pain that he experienced, which I think is key. God is showing us that no matter the thorn in our lives, 
No thorn is beyond the reach of the grace of God. If God's grace was sufficient for everything that Paul went through, his grace is sufficient for anything and everything that we will ever go through. The purpose of difficulties, the pain of difficulties. Notice third, God's provision in difficulties. God's provision in difficulties. Verse number nine. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. No one enjoys pain. No one enjoys difficulty. No one looks forward to moments when our lives are flipped upside down and our strength and our patience are being stretched. What I view as pain and what I view as difficulty, it may be different what you view as pain and difficulty. But the commonality we have is that none of us care for it. Even if we're defining it a different way, even if we view it differently, none of us care for pain. None of us care for difficulties. Paul didn't care for it either. And that's why verse number 8 tells us that he besought the Lord three times that it might depart from him. He begged and pleaded, God, take it away. And each time, God refused his request. It wasn't even that God delayed. It wasn't even that God remained silent and said, you know, I'll get back to you later. God flat out told him no. What God did what he did do, though, was to give him grace in his affliction to continue the work and the service that he was doing for Christ. And God also told Paul that his strength would be made perfect in Paul's season of weakness. Now, think of how backwards this sounds. Strength increased in weakness. Power displayed through pain. This almost goes against all human approaches, and that is why this glorifies God. It doesn't fall in line with the human train of logic to have what God says he is giving him. Strength in weakness, power through pain. But this is exactly what God's provision is. And notice fourth, the product, the product out of difficulties, the product out of difficulties. Look at verses nine and 10 once more. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The product out of difficulties. Paul first pleaded for God to remove this thorn because he felt it would hinder him from continuing his work and service for Christ. God left the thorn and reassured him that he would not only be able to continue working, but he wouldn't be lacking any strength along the way. Paul was already doing a great job of magnifying Christ, but God was going to allow him to become an even greater witness for Christ than he had ever been, as he would be ministering through this affliction. Think of how powerful a testimony we have when we're calm, when we're focused uh, on Christ during times of difficulty. In times of affliction, people expect us to be upset. They expect us to do things that we might regret. They expect us to say things that are typically out of character. People expect these things because that is almost how the world teaches us to cope with difficulty. We say things that we wouldn't normally say because we just need to vent. We just need to get something off our chest. And once I can get that off my chest, I can get back to how I normally act. Some people resort to drugs and alcohol because they feel it calms them and helps them relax under the pressure. 
It has become so commonplace that we often hear the expression, this person's going to lead me to drink. You ever heard anyone say that? It's become so commonplace because this is what the world expects of anyone when they're faced with a serious enough difficulty. Just a normal expression. A normal act. It's the response the world expects to, to hear and to see from people when difficulties come. It has become so expected that when a person doesn't immediately lash out with saying something or run to the bottle or fly off the handle or spew some malicious words from their mouth, they're almost looked upon as weird. What's wrong with you? Anyone normal who would have had the situation come would have just flown off the handle. And we would have come to expect it. We would have been okay with it because of what you just dealt with. What's wrong with you? You're almost looked upon as if you're the weird one for, for not spewing horrible words, for not running to a bottle to drink, for, for not doing something that you'd immediately regret. Something must be wrong with us is the idea. The weaker we are, the, strong, the stronger God's grace is revealed through us as we're yielding ourselves to him. Your testimony is incredibly powerful when you're able to keep your composure, when you're able to remain steadfast and to continue to lean upon God even when life gets tough. You can have such a powerful testimony when the world expects you to lose your temper and they'd be okay with it because of what you've just gone through. But you can remain steadfast and calm. When you don't run to a bottle because of all the stress that you're under and you just need a moment to relax and just to compose yourself and the world sees the difference in you. Your testimony can be incredibly more powerful than anything else. The product out of difficulties. Notice fifth, the perspective of difficulties. The perspective of difficulties. Verse number nine again. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can you imagine glorying in infirmities? I can understand appreciating difficulties after having come through them. Once you learn how the Lord has worked on your life through it, but glorying in them? What's amazing about this is that Paul's thorn in the flesh is not just something he says he's going to ignore. He doesn't say that he's not going to let it bring him down. Now, that's what we would do, right? If we're dealt with a situation that is unfavorable and we're stuck with it, we're just going to say, well, you know what? I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to power through. I'm going to pretend like it's not even there. He doesn't say any of that. We, we might look at it and say that, that we're just going to ignore it, but he's not trying to hide the affliction. He's not trying to cover it up. He's not trying to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not there. He's glorying in it, the Bible says. He has this thorn in his flesh and he is claiming it as a badge of honor. He's proudly wearing it as a sign of God's strength, making him stronger than he'd ever been. Paul had stood up face to face and debated with other Christians who disagreed. He faced those who opposed him to the point of, of even being stoned and, and people leaving him for dead. 
All this was done for the sake of the gospel. Paul would preach the gospel in some of the most hostile situations, spreading the gospel seed everywhere that he traveled. He would preach the gospel everywhere. He traveled extensively, the Bible says, throughout Asia, Asia Minor, Europe, planting churches everywhere he went and leading sinners to Christ. And oh yeah, in his spare time, he wrote half of the New Testament. He was weak in his own strength. But in the power of Christ, he was strong. God brought him to the end of himself so that he might experience the fullness of Christ. God took a physically beat up, battered, and weakened Paul and made him truly useful, made him powerful beyond what he ever imagined he could be with a thorn in his flesh as God gave him his strength. Charles Spurgeon once said, I bear willing witness that I owe more to the fire and the hammer and the file than to anything else in my Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I have ever learned anything except through the rod. When my schoolroom is darkened, I see most. The only path that leads us to the destination that God desires for us is the path of difficulty. People attempt all sorts of different shortcuts, but the shortcut always leads away and out into the wilderness. Where is it that you find yourself today? It's possible you're facing a difficulty today that was completely unexpected. It's possible that the path you're on has led to maybe a physical sickness, maybe to financial trouble, maybe to a heartbreak of some kind, maybe to the loss of a loved one, or maybe some major disappointment that you can hardly manage to bear. Perhaps you're thinking that you're stuck where you are unable to move beyond this point. You can't get over whatever this difficulty is. And in all that you face, know that all of your difficulties are important to God. It's possible that you've been looking at your difficulties from the wrong perspective. But whatever it is that you're dealing with right now, it was never intended to keep you from doing anything. It is intended to empower you. It is intended to strengthen you for the future. Everything you go through in this life is important to God, and it is something that he uses to move you closer to entering into his kingdom. As we are sure to face all sorts of difficulties in this life, let me offer several thoughts to keep in the back of your minds. First, difficulties, and maybe you've heard this before, difficulties are divine appointments. Difficulties are divine appointments. Look back at what it says in verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Difficulties are often divine appointments. Paul describes his thorn in the flesh as he says, the messenger of Satan. Despite what many people think, Satan does not have free reign to do as he pleases. God has him on a leash and allows him to do everything that he does. The reason that this is important is because God allowed Satan to buffet the Apostle Paul. He allowed this to happen. Every difficulty we will ever face comes from the hand of God. The hand of God, though, who loves us and desires for us to continue to mature and to grow in our spiritual walk. If we're wise enough, we will view difficulties as divine appointments. Now, this will help you from falling into despair. It'll keep you from giving in to discouragement. 
you'll understand that God is always in control and that God is still on his throne even though your life seems to be crumbling from beneath you. There is no coincidence when it comes with God. God has tests and lessons in every circumstance, all of which are designed to help us keep moving forward. When we're going through a season of sorrow, God has brought it that we might turn to him and know that he is our eternal consolation. When we face disappointment, God wants us to know that he is the one that we can always confide in. When our plans fall apart, God wants us to learn to live by his plans. The sooner we accept the fact that all our circumstances, even the difficult ones, have all come from God, our perspective will completely change. Rather than being upset, rather than being discouraged, we'll find ourselves looking to God and acknowledging that our difficulties have all been filtered through his loving hands. Difficulties are divine appointments. Second, progress comes through pain. Progress comes through pain. It's no secret that we live in a very superficial world. People are very much focused on having a, a high self-image and a better outward appearance. Some people are convinced that they'd even feel better about themselves if they might look better. Maybe if they were a little bit thinner, if they had nicer clothing, clothing if they drove a fancier car, if they lived in a bigger house, and so on. None of these things may be bad, but at the end of the day, all of these things are just cosmetic. They're just band-aids. People are trying to fix deep-rooted problems with skin-deep solutions, and it just won't work. Progress and maturity come through pain, through adversity, through enduring difficulties. Difficulties live, leave us with a list of problems that need fixing, but they also help us to see those areas in our lives that we've neglected for so long. And this is good because acknowledging our problem leads us to then acknowledge our need for God's help. Without the times of pain, we would rarely take the time to listen to what God has been trying to get our attention with for so long. Without pain, we'd continue just skipping through life, thinking that everything is great, that we're growing closer to the Lord, when in reality, we're just spinning our tires in the mud. It is in the painful seasons of life that God teaches us the deeper lessons of life. Sometimes it's necessary for God to allow us to fall flat on our faces. Sometimes he just hits us in the back of the head with a two-by-four, though. Because he knows that when we're hit with pain, our pain is not disastrous, but an opportunity for God to make us wiser and stronger. Some people go through life and allow their difficulties to make them bitter, while others allow them to make them better. Progress comes through pain. And notice third, God's provision of grace. God's provision of grace. Look at verse 9 again. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's provision of grace. I wonder how many times God has said these words to us. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. How many times has God said these words to us and we've been so distressed to not notice that he's been speaking these words to reassure us that he's there and he's there to comfort us. How many times have you drowned out these comforting words of Christ because we're too focused on ourselves instead of looking at the circumstances from God's perspective? 
we can get so self-absorbed that instead of hearing God speak to us, we're too busy asking him, why has this happened to me? What did I do to deserve this? What am I supposed to do now? How am I to recover from this? In John chapter 15, Jesus teaches his disciples a valuable lesson of his provision through a farming illustration. He refers to himself as the vine, and he refers to believers as the branches. Branches, he says, receive their life from the vine and are only fruitful when receiving the nourishment from the vine. But there are times when the branches, believers, need to be purged, need to be pruned, so that they they might be able to bring forth more fruit. The farmer, God, does this purging not because he hates the branch, but quite opposite. It is the farmer's love for the branch, for the believer, that leads him to purge it, to prune it. As painful as it may be, it is a love for the branch that leads him to do this. He desires that the branch would be as fruitful as possible, even if it means allowing it to go through pain of purging so that those rough edges are removed and that the branch can function more bountifully. The farmer is the closest to the branch when he's purging it, just as God is closest to us in times of difficulty. Godly people will acknowledge that God spoke to them the clearest in seasons of distress and difficulties. And they'll attest that God's hand of provision was the closest when they were hurting the most. Notice number four. Difficulties produce the most growth. Difficulties produce the most growth. Look again at verse number 10. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. For when I am weak, he says, then am I strong. By itself, if we just looked at that statement, for when I am weak, then am I strong, that makes no sense. For when I am weak, then am I strong. But when you add the context, the message is so clear. You can struggle in difficult situations, questioning God's plan, questioning God's direction, questioning whether or not God even cares. Is he even aware of what I'm going through? You can find yourself exhausted, discouraged, disappointed, in pain, just writhing in agony. Or you can accept the situation and allow it to train you and strengthen you. Looking at difficulties through the right lens will lead you to having more power, more holiness, and to bear more fruit. Believe it or not, but the difficulties of life will allow you to have purpose and greater joy because God will show you how in your weakness He shines the brightest. There's always a purpose behind the pain. God doesn't bring pain just to bring pain. God brings pain to build power, but His power only, becomes, only comes to rest upon you when you put aside the idea that your strength will ever be enough. We will never be strong enough. We will never be smart enough. We will never be equipped enough. We need God every step of the way, and sometimes it takes us a while to realize just how much we need God and how little we can actually do for ourselves. When we do, though, God can purge us from all those things we thought, which we thought were enough 
but we're actually stunting our growth. Spurgeon also said, he said, those who navigate little streams and shallow creeks know but little of the, the God of tempests, but those who do business in great waters, these see his wonders in the deep. Among the huge Atlantic waves of bereavement, poverty, temptation, and reproach, we learn the power of Jehovah because we feel the littleness of man. As much as it hurts, we need those times of purging. We need God to cut off those rough edges of our exterior that are preventing us from bearing much fruit so that we might finally be freed to grow and blossom into something beautiful in his hands and bear more fruit than we've ever borne before. And notice number five, growth depends upon how we respond. Growth depends upon how we respond. Look at verses nine and 10 once more. Growth depends upon how we respond. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul sought the Lord three times. Verse eight tells us this, three times. Three times because he wanted this thorn in his flesh gone. God told him no. Not once, not twice, three times. He asked God to remove it because he struggled to see why it came in the first place. He asked God to remove it because he thought it was going to slow him down. He asked God to remove it because he thought it would make him weak. When he quieted his troubled spirit long enough to hear God speak, the words that he heard brought comfort to his troubled soul. My grace, Christ said, is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And like that, everything changed. He stopped asking God to remove it. He didn't hear God say that and say, you know what? God, it'd still be great if you could remove it. I know you said no three times, and I know you're saying that you're going to be enough, but boy, it would really make me feel better if you would just remove this. No. As soon as God said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, done, accepted. He stopped asking God. Now think about this for a moment. God brought this difficulty in his life not when Paul was struggling, not at a time when he had wandered away from the Lord, but when he was thriving for the Lord. God saw a fruitful branch and saw how it could bring forth more fruit through purging. In John 15, verse 2, Jesus said, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, notice this, Every branch that beareth fruit, that the believer who's doing what he should be doing, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Paul was bringing forth fruit. He was doing what he should be doing. But God knew that there was so much more to be had. Had Paul responded the wrong way, we might not be reading these words here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Had Paul responded to this difficulty like some of us who cry out, Woe is me! What did I do to deserve this? We may not even be here right now. 
It may not seem like much sense that God would bring difficulties when we're walking already in close fellowship with him, but just know that God purges those who are bearing fruit for the purpose of preparing them to bear more fruit for him. While you may be tempted to ask God all sorts of questions like, why this? Why now? Why me? Start asking, what? What, Lord, would you have me to do? What is it, Lord, that you're teaching me in this? We're all going to face difficulties throughout our lives. The difference is how we respond to those difficulties. Whatever growth you see and whatever fruit you bear will be directly linked to how you respond to the difficulties that God brings your way. Don't allow your difficulties to get you down to the point of rendering you ineffective for Christ. Let your difficulties be the launching pad, elevating you into greater service for Christ as you recognize that all of this has come from the hand of God that loves you for the purpose of strengthening you. Respond by looking not at yourself, but at what God would have you to do with the strength granted you through the loving and even purging hand of your heavenly Father. Respond the right way. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're able to see an example of, Lord, a faithful servant of yours who was doing as he should when difficulties hit. Lord, we may not always get the answer as to why difficulties come. But Lord, I pray that when they do come, that our attitude might be right. Lord, rather than wondering what we did to deserve this, may we seek your wisdom and guidance as to what you would have us to learn in this. Help us, Lord, to have the proper perspective. Help us, Lord, to respond the right way to all the challenges, to the difficulties that we face, whether we're in the midst of it now or, Lord, it's just around the corner. You are everything to us, and in you alone we find all that we need to endure, Lord, and to go through the difficulties that we know are coming. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.